This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. After cutting city budgets last month, Mayor Mike Johnson announced this week that he's closing four shelters serving newcomers from Central and South America. And just days earlier, Aurora declared itself a non-sanctuary city. So me and Brian, one of our favorite guests, are talking about the changing tenor of the newcomer conversation. Plus, new bike lane drama and our wins and fails of the week. Today is Friday, March 1st. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city that can't stop driving cars into the Cherry Creek. <laughs> oh. oh, no. There's another one this week. Did you all see this? I, I'm la- I like, in, I don't know how to characterize how I feel about this. It's funny, but it's also like <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. As a person who has utilized that trail as a pedestrian and a cyclist. So it's not funny, mm-hmm. but it's also like, womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> it happens like every year because people drive terribly it's very cartoonish for yeah, sure. yeah yeah there is a little like uh roadrunner-esque feel <laughs> wily coyote feel about it happening just but. put a sign up on you know <laughs> where i'm at with it is um you ever like stand on a tall building and like near the edge visualize yourself jumping off no okay all, just me all, all the time i do that sometimes <laughs> and now when i drive down cherry creek i think well should I just veer off the edge into the creek? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, I visualize I've, myself doing it now. Hey, hey Paul, I have don't. Had, I, <laughs> Thank okay. you. I see what you're Thank saying. You. I'm afraid of heights, so I didn't. that didn't work for me, but I have had that moment where I was like, what if I just drive right through just, that you know, Yeah, intrusive just, thoughts, I think, is what yeah, you guys are talking dark, about. Yeah, what if stuff. I jumped in front oh, cool. of the bus? Yeah, what if I drove well, into Cherry Creek? No need to interrogate that further. That's know, perfectly like, good as it is. <laughs> sorry to my mom who's listening. I've had those thoughts. I'm sorry, Brooke. Everybody does. This is perfectly, I don't know what it is about our brain where they're like, Hey, what if we just ended it all right now? Like you could be perfectly <laughs> fine. It's nothing. Yeah, Anyways, it's if you're not... having intrusive thoughts right now, I just want you, I don't know, Stay take away a breath, from spear. <laughs> drink a coffee and hey, it's all going to be okay, bud. It's all going to be okay. Everybody has those <laughs> that's, thoughts. That's, that's, a, that's a nice thing. Anyway, let's get, let's get to the show. It's Friday. We're in the 5280 Magazine studios. Our host, Bree Davies is here. You heard her voice. Hey, Bree. Hi. And um, well, I don't know, you've heard his voice too. I'll introduce our, we have a fantastic guest today. Uh, he's one of Denver's funniest stand-up comedians, uh, one of our favorite regulars. Uh, he's our man inside Casa Bonita. That's right. Uh, Joshua Emerson, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here, Paul. Hi, Bree. How you doing? Good morning. Good. Good morning. It's been a while. We yeah. missed you. Yeah, yate a bene. You've been on the road. Been on the road. Been in San Francisco. I'm going to Detroit in two weeks. I know. That's Fancy true. Detroit. That's hey. right. Casinos. <laughs> <laughs> Little I mean, Caesars. Architecturally speaking, I know it's a beautiful city. I don't know. Yeah, and Wayne State's right downtown, and uh, so is the club, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. It's going to be cool. Uh, before we get to the news, I have uh, I have an important question for you two, but also the listeners. Um, we, we have teased in, uh, a couple weeks ago that we're gearing up to do a best bagel battle. Now that there's Ooh. a couple of new bagel shops coming into town. 
we kind of have to pick the best one. Probably, uh, so probably going to be Rosenberg's. Well, that's uh, the question. We, we, we were locking down our perfect guess, but what, what should the contenders be? Rosenberg's, I think, deserves a spot for sure. That's, that's a bit of a, you know, people, that's a talking, that's a talker. You know, I'm gonna have to throw in an old school. I mean, it'd probably be the Bagel Deli. Is that who makes all the bagels? I think most people the really bagel do deli. like the Bagel Deli. Yeah. Yeah, they do. But wait a minute. I'm sorry. Did you say Moe's makes I think the bagels? Moe's from the bagel supplies deli? the Bagel Deli. Oh no. Well, well, that what's wrong with Moe's? Because Moe's it doesn't good. feel as it doesn't feel as old as I thought it was. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Well, Moe's the Bagel is still Deli's old been school. there forever. Yeah, but the Bengal Deli's been there for decades, right. multiple. Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't know if I have a dog in this fight, then I'd be I, curious. I'm biased because uh, my, the, the lady in my life, uh, the love of my life, uh, Rachel, I'm not going to tell you her last name. Uh, <laughs> you can't stalk her on the internet. No, I'll find her anyway, but it's fine. No. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, she's a baker, and she used to work at Rosenberg's Deli, and she, oh. she made the bagels. This is a crazy process <gasps> where you really have to time the the bagel making to a T, because you have to boil it, you have to get, right. it, you have to get it off, you have to then you have to bake it. There's like there's like a multi-step process, and hmm. the the way that they're able to do it's really cool. Okay. Well, that that is a good tease right there, I listeners. Know. If you're if you're as excited about bagels as we are, call in. Let us know what are your favorites. What's the bagel place, the local bagel spot that you would be disappointed if to not hear us taste test head to head? That's like, what we need to know. Yeah. <laughs> like if you listen to this and we're like, I can't believe they didn't include. They didn't say. They didn't talk about. We want to know who that is. They didn't talk Wood about Green. King Supers. King Supers brand. That is actually <laughs> secretly the best. If that's what you think, call us at seven two zero five zero zero five four one eight for best bagels. Uh, shall we get to the news? Let's do it. Okay. Um, our top story uh, this week is um, is this newcomers crisis situation. The number of newcomers arriving in Denver from Central and South America right now is going down. Um, and fewer and fewer are drawing on the city support systems, yet the fight over what to do and how to pay for it is hotter than ever. Um, with Mayor Mike Johnston and Governor Jared Polis sending opposite signals this week. Um, Bree, let's start with the mayor. On Wednesday, he announced a plan to save Denver $60 million by closing four shelters serving newcomers. Um, what do you think about this move from the mayor right now? I guess my question was just like, well, then where do they go? Like, there's still going to be people. Mm-hmm. What do they, are they just shoving people out the door and closing the doors? I think what they're doing is they're reallocating their resources and focusing more on like getting people connected with work authorizations and housing. So like no one's going to be turned out onto the streets, Okay, but they're going to be sent to other shelters. And ideally as the, as the amount of newcomers arriving continues to go down, I think those shelters are just not going to be needed. As and, much. Oh, okay. And that's what he said in his press conference. He said that he didn't want to increase the displacement right. um, as a part of this move. Like the, the whole goal is not to have more people out on the street, but to, yeah, um, it's gone down from what? 5,200 to 2,400 uh, in terms of newcomers uh, at at these shelters, uh, thirty nine thousand uh, newcomers overall, uh, and, and yeah, it was a hundred and eighty million uh, plan budget originally, and it's supposed to save sixty million dollars of that, um, which is pretty interesting. Well, I don't know. I mean, that number actually, we should talk about this one hundred and eighty million dollar figure. People have been throwing oh, this around yeah, lately. This really mm-hmm. sticks in your crop, Paul. I just think it's a little <laughs> weird that everyone is seizing on it because what, what I remember was it came up like maybe a month ago when Mayor Johnston, he he was projecting how much supporting the newcomers was going to cost in 2024. And he said, based on the current levels of support, which was about $15 million a month, that it would cost the city $180 million over the course of the year to provide that same amount of support. Now, 
obviously that's changed and like he didn't know how many people were going to be coming this year yeah so mm. it doesn't feel like a number you can actually have until it happens yeah right you know what i mean like an after if you know this would be an after the fact conversation about we spent this much we anticipate spending this much but like you're like you said it's based on the influx the amount of people at a certain time but if it's going down that number should be going down yeah right? yeah anyway that number has been picked up by the press and now johnston himself has started using it so Isn't that I, interesting yeah i don't i don't know what he's trying to do with it but he's clearly there's a lot of spin happening on all sides of this because oh, this is so coming much. like two weeks after uh johnston cut budgets at the dmv and the parks and rec department because of how much supporting the newcomers is costing yeah. I don't know, Joshua, what are you seeing in this? Yeah, uh, when when they actually cut services, people got angry. But then other politicians, specifically from like Aurora and from Lakewood, they've used that cutting of services as sort of a rally cry yeah. to sort of uh, uh, be uh, anti-newcomer. Uh, you know, uh, they, um, they, they continue to be like, do you want all your services or your taxes that pay for? And, and it's really just grandstanding. Uh, Aurora, they just passed uh, saying that they're not going to be a sanctuary city seven to three. And a big part of that was uh, they they like, we don't want to end up like Denver. Uh, what's crazy, though, is that it is grandstanding and that there's no enforcement uh, aspect of their resolution. So there's no way like it's just like a statement. Exactly. Like we just you're not welcome here officially from the city, which is, you know, so mean. Well, I pull I actually pulled the exact quote because I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Yeah, what is the words? Quote, the city, this is from Aurora, the city council affirms remaining a non-sanctuary city and asserts that the city does not currently have the financial capacity to fund new services related to this crisis and demands that other municipalities and entities do not systematically transport migrants and or people experiencing homelessness to the city. This resolution also called for the federal government to secure our nation's borders. I saw so if you're that. wondering like the tenor, that's what you're talking about is like... There, it's it's a non. It's not. It's it's not thing, something they can implement. They're just making a statement saying, "Don't do this. We don't want it, and we really don't want to be part of the problem that we feel like you're perpetuating, Denver." Yeah. That's how I took it. Yeah, it's it's very much like this is a Denver problem. And yeah. that's the same message that's coming from the state office as well. Like yeah. this is a Denver problem, not a Colorado problem. Uh, yeah, Polis. I, I, like, it, is it a Denver problem because Mayor Mike has just been forthcoming and talking about it and addressing it? I, I don't understand why it's our our quote problem. I think it's I think it's about the values of these different communities. Personally, I think Mayor Mike has detected or seen something in the people of Denver, some welcoming sensibility, or maybe he's seeing these Facebook groups where people are organizing to, to provide more support. And he's saying, I think this is what the people of Denver want. So this is what I'm going to do to prioritize the time of the My City administration is provide more support. Like, I think he sees that as, as maybe partly political gain, obviously partly like the kindness and warmth of his heart. I think a lot of people feel that too. And I think he thought a lot more people were going to go along with him um, in, in, in his in his strategy. Uh, I thought he 
He thought it were going to be more federal funds. Uh, there's a bill that did not pass for $1.4 billion um, uh, in funds for this specific uh, issue. Uh, he thought he'd have more state uh, funding. I, I mean, it, and other states have reacted. Like in New York, they they mobilized the National Guard to help with the crisis. In Massachusetts, they pledged $500 million towards, towards it. And hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, Mayor Mike Johnson's not getting that type of support here. No, he's not. No, he's not. The polis thing is interesting to me, too, because I was just looking at these uh, some quotes from other representatives across the state about the governor's lack of response or what is seen as the lack of response. Uh, Councilwoman Jamie Torres said this is a governor who I think has historically been not just friendly, but welcoming to immigrants. Um, to English language learners, I guess I expected more. And Senator Gonzalez said something similar. The governor has been an ally in the past, but it's really surprising that he hasn't been as strong in his allyship as he has been in the past. So there, I, I, it is interesting. It just feels like, yeah, well, how are we not united on this front? Why is why is Denver not even at least getting support from the the governor? And he didn't even bring it up in the state of the state address, which is wild. Yeah, not because even- it's a huge thing. Happening here right now. I know it's yeah, it's amazing to me. It's really disappointing. Uh, I'm a big policy guy, and I think people should be thinking about what's the best policy to sort of react to the situation. And it really feels like people are like, what's the best political move? Because this is something that evokes emotion and and could affect electability. And so, hmm. I wonder. Well, I, I think I know what Polis is looking at. I think Polis is looking at what's happening in Aurora and what's happening in Lakewood alongside Denver, and he's seeing the states divided. Why would I? Why would I put my finger in the hornet's nest here and take a side on this? Because he, what he is doing is he's lobbying the federal government. He's been doing these interviews for for over a year now, talking about like how they should, you know, provide more money for the states. And and he also has repeated that same line you were mentioning, Bria, they like the the federal government needs to secure the border. That's that's the solution he sees in this too. Of course, uh, we need more border border patrol agents. Uh, Congress needs to fund them. Uh, Congress needs to fund additional border security. Of course, uh, when people are entering illegally and we fail to lock down that southern border because Congress can't act, of course it'll increase the demand for housing, and that only adds to the cost of housing in communities across the country. So while we're undertaking a number of efforts to remove barriers, to build new housing, reducing permitting time, cutting red tape, uh, we also want to make sure that we can secure that border to make America safer and to make America more But I don't know. I think the other thing is it's an opportunity. Like, I think maybe Mayor Johnston sees an opportunity in welcoming new people and growth in that way because people could start new businesses. If they get a little leg up, if you can get work authorization, maybe you can maybe you can contribute and build something bigger. Yeah, I mean, I think he's seeing that in like they're already here. Mm. We might as well make it hospitable for them to be a part of the community in a bigger way, which I think is great. But at the end of the day, we're still dealing with the same issues we're dealing with, whether it's uh, folks new here or not, it's housing people. It's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He knows. He knows firsthand it's hard. So I I don't know. I just wouldn't want to be in his shoes for sure. And I would feel a little bit isolated from the rest of the state because I feel like he's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think some of these other municipalities are kind of just... I'm just being real dicks about it. Yeah. Just like standing up and saying like- I mean, they don't want to pay like, for it. They don't, they don't want to pay for it. But they, there's they, all they don't this think it's undercurrent of like xenophobia and racism. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. Like we can't pretend it's it's not there. That's what I'm hearing in all of these meetings. Also, look at every photograph of every yep. town hall. It's a bunch of old white people. Like 
it's not representative of what my neighborhood looks like. I know what like this the people in Lakewood are not all this kind of person. Mm-hmm. So it just goes back to that who can be participating in these sorts of things, who has the time, who, ha- you know, yeah. I don't love it. I don't know. Just a bad look all around to it, me. It's a really interesting moment right now with these politicians kind of figuring out how they're going to find their place in the debate and, and what it's what's going to happen. But I what I what the other thing I want to shout out about Johnston is the fact that he's shifting focus from shelter and housing folks to case management and trying to like build some longer term infrastructure. Yeah. That seems really promising. That's the kind of thing that we were uh, we were bashing him on over the House 1000 project last True. year. It seemed like all a big sprint for housing right. and are not enough long term infrastructure building. And, and maybe he took maybe that he to took heart and said, oh man, we do need to do something that will... Also, just like satisfy the folks in the city who that are experiencing this from the budget cuts side of it. It's right. like, what's the next step now? We can't just be in crisis mode the whole time. And, and real numbers too. 600 people have been helped through the work authorization process. 700 more are in the pipeline. Uh, they've had already five clinics and they're going to do five more. Um, so there, there's a lot of, there's real work being done. Yeah. Uh, I know the city's always looking for bilingual uh, uh, just volunteers, um, especially with this right here. They've continued to put a, put a call out uh, for those clinics and for those different things i know that's on the city's website um but it's definitely what an interesting way to get involved in your city you know where you do have a have a a newcomer crisis like this and you can be a part of the solution this is this is something that's that's affecting everything i mean the reason uh these people are coming you know venezuelans a failed petro state that you know that started in the 70s this is a large economic issue where we're seeing the ramifications become be international they traveled over you know seven countries to to and and you know three states to get here in denver and and then it's a much larger issue than just it's not a denver problem it's a it's a all of us problem you know well we'll leave it there for now um we're obviously going to talk about this more as the story continues to develop um but uh, we're gonna take a quick break and we we'll come back and talk about bike lanes <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. All right, and we're back. The long-awaited, much-debated Broadway bike lane was officially, finally completed earlier this month, capping off the $14.3 million project. But that's not the only new bike lane Denverites are talking about this week. Um, This is our hot topic this week, bike lanes. Some people like them, some people hate them. Um, The other story we're going to talk about is this this westward piece about a new bike lane um, just a few blocks from where we're sitting right now on Larimer Street downtown that's causing problems with a particular building, uh, the Windsor Condos. A lot of residents are senior citizens, and uh, apparently it's been causing injuries. Um, at least that's what they're saying. Um, Bree, what do you think about this brewing conflict downtown? Let's start there. Um, I mean, I read this the Westward story a couple times, and what came through to me was the accessibility component. We're talking about, quote, senior citizens here. So we're talking mm-hmm. about folks uh, with who need mobility help. This is 
disability in general. This is not just older folks. And I just, the way that they were talking about the bike lanes felt a lot the way that my friends with disabilities talk about infrastructure issues around the city. It just makes it harder hmm. for them and less safe. And um, there was... So and and I want to give credit to Jill Ocantori at the Denver Streets Partnership. She was quoted saying protected bicycle links can and should be designed to accommodate the needs of people with disabilities, including people who use wheelchairs or walkers and who need to park adjacent to the bike lane. I'm with Jill and I agree, but that's just not in practice how it goes. And mm -hmm. there was these d descriptions of what folks were having to do to like if you have a van that has a ramp for your wheelchair to come out, you need the space for the ramp to come out safely. And this is a lot of issue with uh, accessible parking spots. As people will park right next to it, not knowing someone's van that's in the accessible spot needs to open the door. The, the ramp needs to come down. And so it's just these things that I think able-bodied people just don't think about. And they were describing how residents had to go, because of the bike lane, they have to go in the path of a parking garage exit to the nearest curb ramp, or they have to get dropped off at the end of the block and then travel uphill to the building. It's not safe or accessible. And uh, I, I wonder if we're not looking at the whole picture. I mean, when you make a bike lane, you have to study the whole street. This is not something they just willy-nilly throw out there. But I don't think that disability is still being um, put at the center of this as it should be. So I'm mm. with, I don't know. I, I feel this is a disability issue. This is not just cranky people. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. I, I did come away with a similar impression. I was I was very empathetic with the people living there. It sounds like this bike lane is not, it's just in the way of the, because the, the bike lane is like between the parked cars and the curb now. Right. And yeah, if you need to have that ramp that goes down onto the curb to let a wheelchair, wheelchair up, it's just like it's, it doesn't work for those people. No, and like people go zipping through those on s scooters and like, that's terrifying. I've mm -hmm. been downtown, like afraid I'm going to get hit by someone on a scooter, especially when you're crossing the street and you have to check the bike lane, which I'm fine with. I'm checking, but I can see where if you're moving at a slower pace because you're folding out a ramp and bringing a wheelchair down, that can be a little bit precarious. Hmm. Joshua, what do you see in the story? Bike lanes save lives to me in general, like that, that there's so many hit and run accidents here yeah. in Denver that, that happen with, with bikers. But we also live in a community where we have to sort of compromise between each other, um, in terms of making sure we create the space for each other as well. I think it's, it's one of those things where you have to speak up about the issues that, uh, are affecting you. This, uh, they talked a little bit about in the Westward article where they're trying to communicate with the department of transportation mm -hmm. about this. And I, I, I might speak a little bit too that like 125 miles so quickly of added bike lanes mm -hmm. um, that not enough attention was paid to specific neighborhoods. Um, and you're going to, you might hear more stories like this. Um, yeah. it, it just, just, I, I, so I, I guess, I guess for me, it's 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 bike lanes save lives. I, I'm a big fan of bike lanes, but but uh, continue to adjust and make it better for everybody so that we're we're all included. Um, yeah, and then, then scooters, scooters are always going to be in the bike lanes. That was the other thing I pulled from the article, just the fact that uh, how angry UPS drivers are at scooters. <laughs> I got they? that. Yeah, yeah. It's like Can he you had two though? quotes. I get it. I get it. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're doing your job, and then you're uh, someone's flying, you know, with uh, and your headphones on. Precariously in the street somehow. <laughs> I just watched it happen while I parked today in front of this building, and yeah. like a FedEx truck pulls up, doesn't really have anywhere 
anywhere to park and then has to cross. Yeah. So it's, and, and I'm with you. I, I don't want to think, I don't want to say that I don't think bike lanes are great. Uh-huh. It just feels like disability is so missing from the conversation overall. Sure. Not just with bike lanes, but with street use. Yeah, it seems like with this particular instance, there could have been a little bit more, yeah. like a little bit more work, a little bit more engagement done to get it right. Um, although it does sound like that's happening. To be fair to the city, in response to the complaints, the city has designated one parking space in front of the Windsor as a loading zone. I'm quoting from the Westward piece, um, where where cars can stop and pick up or drop off residents, and there are plans to add a second space in the zone soon. Um, so, uh, so that seems like that, you know, that's going to get better. What about the Broadway bike lane? Have either of you had the pleasure of enjoying this, this new no, bike have lane? you, Paul? Uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> I did. I did go over and I rode the entire 14.3 miles. Oh, wow. No, that's the, that's the number of millions of dollars that it cost. It's oh. 1.5 miles. Okay. I was going to say 14 miles. <laughs> no, that sure? would be a great bike lane. That would be a, Yeah. Okay, uh, no, so you wrote a one, one and, and a half okay. miles from South Broadway. They say it's complete. It's a total canard. It's yeah. not complete. It goes from the Broadway RTD station, that I-25 and Broadway mm-hmm. interchange, where the bike lane just basically terminates into a in, uh, intersection. Is this where the spaghetti monster is? Exactly. Okay. It, ter- it, it spits you out right into the spaghetti monster. Into the heart of the spaghetti. Which is what one of our listeners called that interchange at the high, where there's like a million ways to get on and off the highway. And the, it's just, I'm making hand motions. Nobody can see. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. You know the intersection though? It's, it's like real dicey. Broadway and I-25. I'm also Lincoln. a pacifarian? Pacifarian? Pacifarian. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So as soon as she said spaghetti monster, I was like, oh. Well, this is the bike lane for you. <laughs> Happy meatball to you. <laughs> it's going to take you right. Yeah. So it's not complete. It just goes from the Cherry Creek down to that intersection. So like. I don't know. I mean, it's nice. It is a nice protected bike lane. Some of the intersections are a little weird, like where you turn. Uh-huh. The, there's You get a green to yes. go on your bike, but it's a different uh, cadence. The light's changing to the what the cars are doing. And I never knew what the cars were doing next to me. Oh, so I wouldn't tr- And I wouldn't Always trust like, the cars oh, to be doing exactly. the right thing either. Yeah, or the so, people driving the cars, I don't trust them. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that'll, that stuff will get better, but like, yeah, like why isn't it going down all the way to South South Broadway? Why isn't it going all the way to Englewood or all the way downtown to Civic Center? Or yeah. as someone pointed out, like why didn't complete. they, I know again, <laughs> they do traffic studies. Like this is not just put out there, whatever, but is, was Broadway the best? Place? I've heard some people say that too. Like, like why not on Grant or Sherman side streets, or something? The quieter ones. Because yeah. there was this quote from uh, June Churchill, named honorary bike mayor by Denver Bicycle Lobby, considers it a win for the local businesses because she reasons cyclists are typically saddled with fewer transportation costs than drivers, leaving them with extra cash to spend on Broadway. That's an assumption. I don't even, none of that made sense to me. <laughs> I was wait, like, wait, can you read it again? Let me see if I can parse this. She considers the bike lane on Broadway a win for local businesses because she reasons cyclists are typically saddled with fewer transportation costs (laughs) than drivers, leaving them with extra cash to spend on Broadway. Uh, Ma'am, what? Maybe. (laughs) I mean, it's not coming out of my transportation budget and going into my like party budget or whatever. I I don't know. I just can't even, none of this computes. None of that computed to me. I was like, I don't think that's what local businesses would tell you. They're just like going gangbusters with cyclists. Like can't wait to get in and buy a plant from you. Yeah. What do you all think about the vibe on South Broadway? Does it make you make, want to go spend money there more or or not? I mean, now that the streets, like the construction is done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Finally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that section of South Broadway that I'm thinking about is, 
Yeah, it's already pedest pretty pedestrian friendly. Yeah. The thing that needs to happen is just the traffic needs to be slowed down. Yeah, which the bike lane should help with. It sh uh, it's hard with those. You don't think so? I, I, I guess I guess I I'm skeptical that it, it'll make people drive slower down through that that section of Broadway. Yeah, something I hear people say like bike lanes like make cars go slower, but I, I guess I don't actually know an effect. And maybe in this particular street, it it won't happen. Because that to me is the bigger issue. Is just like it just needs to slow down because this is a heavily pedestrian yeah. area. And, and people are just trying to get out of downtown and get on the I-25 right. out of you know because mm -hmm. there's when you're in downtown, there's only a couple ways to get go south on I-25. You either go in uh, right by Ball arena or you go down south broadway to mm -hmm. uh alameda and so you have this huge influx of cars i don't think bike lanes are we're, going to and we're talking that. one ways again paul yeah we were talking about that the other day on the show think about lincoln and broadway are those two one ways yeah. that people treat kind of like speedways yeah they do so if those were both two-way it wouldn't be as fast i don't think yeah it, it, it i guess it doesn't i i'm not it doesn't make me excited at all as somebody that's down <laughs> in south broadway often for especially for irish rover uh mm. they have open mic every monday shout out irish rover um i mean even like the high dive sputnik i love being in that area and uh it's just kind of i'm kind of indifferent to it as somebody somebody that likes bike lanes like i like i liked them before but you know it's just hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I would love to hear from listeners. If anyone else has tried it, let, let us know what you think. Um, before we move on, though, we should talk about the mayor's role in this, you know, because the, the 125 new miles of bike lanes that you quoted earlier, Joshua, that was Mayor Hancock, our old mayor. That right. was his big goal, 125 miles. He actually exceeded it and built 137. Um, mayor Johnston has not talked so much about bikes. Do we think that he's going to be a bike mayor? I feel like he has to get this like newcomer situation under control and continue the housing stuff before he talks about anything else big. That would be that's how I'm feeling is this is housing is his main thing. Mm. It, and it's been tough for him. All right. One thousand yeah. uh, like right out the gate makes that commitment. And then you have the newcomer crisis. And so, yeah, so uh, it's like not <laughs> top priority. Yeah, I wish it was. I want it to be. But. Maybe Hancock, this was more of his focus. We know how he treated the homelessness situation. That's so true. He maybe prioritized bike lanes. Hmm. Well, listeners, we want to hear from you. Uh, let us know what are the best bike lanes in the city? What are the worst bike lanes in the city? How do you feel about the Broadway bike lane if you've used it since it's been quote unquote completed? Um, call in 720-500-5418. Uh, you can text too. We accept text messages. Uh, the number is 720-500-5418. Uh, one more break and then we're going to be back with Rocky Mountain Highs and Lows. Hey, we're back. It's time for the end of the week. The best way to do it, our favorite segment, Rocky Mountain Highs and Lows. Each of us brought a recent local something that we think is a win and another we think is a fail, and we're going to talk about them. We're going to do fails first. Bree, putting you on the spot. You're first. Oh, you know, New Saigon closed. Just sucks. I, got, I was out of town, so I didn't mm -hmm. get to have my last bowl of lemongrass tofu at New Saigon, but I got so many text messages. Oh my God, New Saigon's closed. What are we going to oh. do? And I'm just sad. It, I, I believe it was one of the, if not the oldest, like uh, original sort of um, Vietnamese restaurants in the city. It's on South Federal. Mm. It's just a classic spot. I read so many uh, comments and things from people online saying like, this is the first place I tried Vietnamese food. And this is the place my family went to. And um, yeah, it's the, I think it's maybe one of the first places I tried Vietnamese food. And it just is 
it was really good and it sucks that it's closed. You know, I don't have anything like deeply philosophical to say about it. I actually, they refused to serve me boba once and I still really? go back there. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to order boba. And they're like, no boba. And I was like, really? Cause everyone else around me is ordering it. <laughs> they're no. like, no boba, we're closed. And I was like, are you? So I kind of got like S pushed out, but I continued to be a customer regardless of the service. That's gotta be great food then. You know? It's delicious. It was. Yeah. Was delicious. Well, that's, have you ever been there, Joshua? I, I never had the pleasure. You know, I, I eat McDonald's seven okay. days a week. All right, <laughs> that documentary. Yeah, yeah that's my Super life. Supersize me as yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I should be 120 pounds. <laughs> um, all right, Joshua, you want to give us your film? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's going to be kind of weird. I uh, went to the Esquire and I saw Rocky Mountain Horror Picture Show, The Shadow Cast. I'm like, this is so great. I love this. And, and so I went to go follow the theater, the Esquire Theater on Instagram. And their Instagram handle is Save the Esquire. And so uh, Esquire, one of the historic theaters in Cap Hill, uh, they were not given the opportunity to renew their lease. And I, and, they you also know, hadn't paid their rent for like two years. Fair enough. You know, I get that, but <laughs> I just, I was like, I, I, I'm just finding out about it now. And then, and it makes me very sad. So that was my fail of the week is, is enjoying, enjoying the art and then realizing that the art is precarious. And so, yeah, yeah. Esquire, great old theater. Can you believe it's older than the Mayan? Three years older. Really? Yeah, it doesn't look it, does it? Oh, well, it's got the Art Deco. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I feel like it's got a parking lot around it, so you don't know. There's not a lot of context for the rest of what the street probably looked like when it opened. Sure. Which yeah. changes the way it looks a little bit, but... Um, I went to the Esquire recently. I saw Zone of Interest there mm. a few weeks ago. How was it? I, I've rounded out my... I'll, I've seen all the Best Picture nominees. It was great. It's one of my favorites of the year. Yeah. Um, but the theater, I will miss it. I will miss it. The chairs had been upgraded since the last time I was there years ago. They have these like leather puffy chairs. Mm -hmm. It's it's a nice theater. It's nicer than I remembered. I had friends that worked there and Good so popcorn. it was always just like a fun place to just go hang out in the lobby and talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> Aw, that's cool. You know, it's yeah. like your friend that works at a gas station or your friend that, well, I don't know, just like when you get to go see your friends at work, that's yeah, the yeah, me yeah, most yeah. memorable thing about it. It's me. a good hang. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Cool. Um, all right, my turn. I'll go. Um, so I just, I read a great story um, from a local reporter named Jennifer Oldham, who covers the oil and gas industry, which we don't talk about a lot because I honestly don't understand it very well. Um, <laughs> but it's a big presence here. It seems like a big presence uh, here, but sometimes Natural it feels gas. like not so big. And other times, very big. I don't know. People talk about it in different ways. Um, but anyway, this story just kind of like blew my mind a little bit. Uh, Jennifer found this company, a local company, Civitas Resources, formed just recently through consolidation, um, that is doing something very odd for an oil company. They're claiming to be carbon neutral. So that's my fail. <laughs> this is an oil company oil here company. in Denver claiming to be carbon neutral. Are they buying offsets? I, it's not about offsets. That's the interesting part. Mm. What the claim is based on, and it gets seriously wonky. Like Jennifer, her work is is remarkable. I'll post the story in the show notes. But what's happening is they're um, they they have uh, they need to they need more money than they've ever needed before. So they're appealing to new funders, and that's why they're taking this on. But the, how they're justifying it is they're not talking about the oil at all. They're saying their operations, uh, like the drill, the, the drilling, the transportation. So it's kind of like, like Hershey's saying like, we're a wrapper company. Yeah. You know, we're a carbon, we're a chocolate neutral wrapper company. 
That's, I mean, it's bold. Isn't you it know? just like as really? Just feels what? so like what a world we're living dark. In. And yeah, bleak. I don't know. It's just like there's no re there's no reality there. How do you be truly? How, what do you even do about that? I, it's just bold face, like lying, right? I, I think so. Right? Kind of, it's absurd. It feels like a masquerading that every like everybody's going to believe this, right? Right. You know? If I just say it, people will believe it. You know what I mean? It's I like mean. those commercials for Dawn dish soap, like. We help clean animals after oil spills, and they're like probably owned by the yeah. same company. Yeah, exactly. You know <laughs> how did all the soap get to here? Yeah, yeah. It's, have to go across it's just a lot of garbage to me. Also, just I want to give. A, I'm sorry to Civitas, the urban planning company here in Denver that oh, has yeah. like a really wonderful reputation. <laughs> they're uh, awesome. They are awesome, and they then Commons they, Park, and yeah, and they're name is stuck to this other thing that's <laughs> not them at all they are not an oil company <laughs> this is weird this is weird so anyway that's look. that's civitas resources is the oil company the carbon neutral oil company <laughs> according to them carbon. all right well, what are we doing we're Fun moving wins. on to wins we're is moving on to wins win? um i got a great win go for it uh sean jersnick gets my win of the week. Are you sure you said his last name right? I'm not, and I'm sorry if I got that wrong, Sean. <laughs> but Sean, you get my win of the week uh, because civic engagement, this is this is a success story here. I read about it in the Denver Post this week, but Jersnick uh, is a local architect who was visiting Europe recently, and he uh, was struck by the different size buildings, different shaped buildings fit into smaller holes. Um, and you know, he was thinking about density and why Denver doesn't have any of these taller apartment buildings that are a little thinner, like don't have quite as big of a floor plate. Um, and he, he noticed that it was about the fact that they only had one staircase mm. instead of two. Oh. The law here is that there should be two for like fire, fire reasons. reasons. Right. Um, Safety. But Oh, Sean, Sean Jersnick has, has observed that nowhere else in the world has the same fire standards. And so he's he's brought this to our state legislature where it's gotten caught up into Jared Polis's densification push. Mm -hmm. And um, people are really excited about it. He's got a lot of hotshot lawmakers talking about it now. So my win goes to Sean Jersnick, but Bree, you look super Was skeptical. What are, you, what are you thinking? Maybe I'm wrong. Wasn't there something that he wanted to make it so you could go up to five stories? Yeah, he wants to make it the the bill that is now based on this idea is would um would allow mid-sized buildings, so I think about like 3 to 5 stories to be built with just one staircase instead of two. Do they not have to have an elevator? Maybe I don't they know. Don't. I don't know. Weird. Okay, that's the part that I was like mm. Yeah, because there are walk-ups on like New York that have no elevators, right? Right, but they're yeah. like from the 1800s. Like are sure. we really still doing that? Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. We'll see. I don't it know how I feel about that. It's one of those smaller bills that, that Polis and his allies in, in uh, right. the legislature are kind of, they've all cobbled together for this big densification sure. thing. Sure, right. part of the conversation. Yeah, this and the, the parking minimum. So I, still that single family only zoning, but you know, whatever. That's, <laughs> hmm. Hey, I need five stories of the same floor plan on every floor. I have been into one of those weird uh, new Denver houses and it's the same floor plan on every floor and i'm yeah. like why does every floor need a tv room you're not even using it <laughs> it's true. so bizarre it's so bizarre it's just bad design that's a whole other conversation <laughs> yeah yeah it's a different different show. Whole other conversation. um all right one of you two uh joshua, go. joshua yeah take give us your win yeah all right so i went to another place saw georgia mcbride at the vintage theater and it came out in the colorado sun uh just this past week that vintage theater has now purchased their theater they own the theater oh Awesome. Yeah, the nonprofit now owns the building, and so they can totally changes how they approach what they're going to put on, and 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 uh, but 
good uh, just just uh, all the flowers to to vintage theater they have a strong membership base and there this is a lot of work over a lot of years and good for them i love i just I love arts organizations owning real estate. That's yes. the bottom line for me is exciting. Equity, baby. Yeah. I mean, that means they get to stay here and they get to, like you said, do what they want to do. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's a benefit to the community. I think that's a great that's it, a great thing. And it is a community endeavor, too. I mean, it's, it's only done through the community. So, yeah, good for them. Well, and sometimes, you know, leases and stuff are precarious in that, like, uh, they may, you know, their lease is up, then they leave the community and they built something within that specific neighborhood. And right. if you can stay for a long time, you can do more things with people and groups and other organizations in the neighborhood that you're in and beyond. And so that's a win for that's a win for Denver to me. Yeah. Where is Vintage awesome. Theater? So it's actually in Aurora, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, what yeah. I mean in the community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Aurora's Denver doing Metro. some cool stuff, yeah. though. It's interesting. It's right next to the Fox Theater as well. So they're oh, sort of like- such a gorgeous so you, theater. Yeah, and Fox that is, is a like- strip. That's it, an up and coming strip. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm excited about that. Because it's really like the historic part of Aurora, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you want That's it a to really come back. beautiful strip. Yeah. Just across um, from there, speaking of New Saigon closing, the one of the daughters of the couple that oh, own yeah. that place, that's where Bond and Butter is, her bakery. That's my I've favorite bakery. About that. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It I, I watched a video of it. Her pastries look amazing. Really? She's so good. She's so good. She she makes these like strawberry cream puff things. The bon the bon me is phenomenal. Yeah. It's right across from the fox. Oh, well, good to know. I have well, another reason to go out there. there you go. Also, there there's you that go. new uh, commissary kitchen and space, La Victoria Healing Kitchen. Mano Sagrados is getting off the ground. Bruce Trujillo's uh, art space and performance space. Hmm. She's actually moving forward with that. So there's a lot of cool arts-related stuff happening. Not that it hasn't been happening in Aurora for a long time, but I think we're seeing some stuff come to fruition. And again, that community component is yep. huge. That's huge. Winds abound in yeah. Aurora. So, um, Bree, give us your win of the week. Well, you know, two weeks after the fact, we were in the newspaper. <laughs> hey! Our, our friend John Wenzel wrote a really nice little write-up about uh, CityCast Denver being one of the top 10 Colorado podcasts. We yeah. did talk about this, but I have a physical copy of the newspaper that... As a person that used to write for Westward, people got way more excited when they were actually in the paper. And I felt that. Or I was nice. like, we were in the newspaper. Um, but I do want to give a shout out to my friend, Sean Rundle's mom, Cindy, who saved this for us. She was like, I think your friend Bree's in this. And he brought it over to my house the other day. And it's uh, cool. Also, shout out Dagtopia. I know. Yeah. Uh, also friends of the podcast, I would say, more, right? Yeah. Get, get more, more smarter. smarter. Our mm-hmm. friends are in this. We've had graffiti from the Connect on the show before. So... There's a lot of really cool podcasts happening, but I don't know. It's just more exciting to see it in print. I love that. It does look good. Well, we should take a picture of that, put it on our Instagram. I think so too. And also thanks, John, for writing about podcasts here. So, Well, there we have it. Mm. Wins and fails of the week. Yeah. What a week. What a week. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Are we still on? (laughs) That's what my son does when he's hungry. He goes, I'm hungry. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. You don't need to give me a sound effect with it, but dude, the gorilla is entering my head. Like it's like I, I will be so annoying. When like, do you work again at Casa Bonita? Uh, tomorrow. Yeah, it's gorilla. Oh. Yeah, so if you're there for the dinner service, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> you hear me? Do you hear me? When I say I will don't do bits, touch the actor. Okay, but I'm a human being. Human dignity. Stop <laughs> touching the gorilla. Is the gorilla costume have a have a padded butt? 
Uh, depends. Because every yeah. time I'm there, some people I hear are juiced and some people are not. Yeah. Like, wow, <laughs> no. the gorilla has a badunkadunk. What is going on? Yeah, no, we got cake. <laughs> okay. We got we yeah. You talk about butter, butter and bond. You know, <laughs> come down, you come down to Lakewood. All right, we'll we'll show you we'll show you some buttery buns. All right, that's. <laughs> All right, that's all for CityCast Denver this week. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. I needed to plug my Tasa Vu show. Oh, yeah, oh no. Okay. Plug your show. Plug your show. What's coming up? Uh, hi, guys. My name is Joshua Emerson. I'm a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I am working with the Redline Contemporary Arts Center. We're doing a monthly Monday show called Tasa Vu. It's a Hopi word for Navajo clown. So, really, it's a Hopi word for Josh Emerson. Uh, <laughs> first one's... That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's great. <laughs> uh, and, uh, first one's March 4th um, on Monday, 7 p.m. at Redline Contemporary Arts Center. I'd love for you to be there. Very cool. Well, it was great to have you back, Joshua. Um, thanks again, everyone. See thanks. you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. That's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Elizabeth Kama, Olivia Jewel Love, and me, Paul Caroli. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davis is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at CityCast Denver. And tell Civitas Resources about us the next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week.